uh, we are training a church network with 11 million members in Ethiopia. Uh, we've been there for four years, and, and since we have gone, the miracle stories are really um, extraordinary. Uh, we met with about uh, 200 leaders this past week, and I, we've got some slides. I'm waiting on those, please. And uh, the group that we met with first, they are the prayer mobilizers for the whole church. Uh, these people have started 32,000 prayer centers. 32,000. And then some, but we'll round it off at, at that. In addition, we also met with members of parliament. There are about 500 members of parliament. Next slide, please. And of the members of parliament, about 120 of them are born again. And we met with them. They have 11 prayer centers just for members of parliament. They meet every week for between one hour and six hours of nonstop prayer. And they said that their, uh, this prayer initiative is changing the landscape of Ethiopia. The most powerful man in Africa, that is the most influential man in Africa, is unquestionably the prime minister of Ethiopia. And... Um, since their prayers have started, he was elected as the first born-again leader of Ethiopia. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, now, back up a slide. We're moving too fast. Back up a slide. Uh, those projecting may not have known the significance of this. This, I, I, pardon me, I don't mean to be dramatic, but to do justice, I have to get on my knees with this. Um, this, what you're looking at, what's going on? Back to the linoleum floor, please. Just hold it there. The slide, advance it. There we go. This is a puddle of tears. Now, what you're looking at is probably uh, literally like five tablespoons of tears under one person. I could... I, I took about 10 pictures of different puddles of tears, but there were over 50 in the room. These are people on their faces, weeping in prayer in the presence of God, grateful to God for his presence. I just want you to look at that. Uh, um, yeah, you guys have been there with us, and... I have never seen anything like this in all my travels. God's blessing is near to the Ethiopian church. And every time we go, they said this has been, this trip, uh, God took us deeper than we've ever been before. And I know we like faces, we like pictures of large crowds, uh, but I can't communicate any clearer than that photo the depth God took us to when we were there. Now I, I, I must, now the next slide please. This uh, gentleman, he looks like a TV evangelist or something. Don't let the flashy appearance throw you. 
This is one of the most humble men I've ever met. Um, about 20 years ago, he began pastoring a church in Addis Ababa, the capital city of Ethiopia. He had nothing. He had a congregation of about um, 150, 200 people. And their offerings, they were faithful, but their, their people had nothing. And their offerings were not sufficient to even feed his, him and his wife and his children. And he got in his home and began crying out to God. And then he began crying, Abba, Abba, screaming, Abba, Abba. And he collapsed on the floor in the presence of the Lord. And as he was on his face, his house began to shake physically. Things fell off the walls. Dishes were rattling. There was no earthquake. It was the presence of God. And he arose in full confidence that Abba was going to change everything. He went back and he told his church leaders, we from now on are going to be an Abba church. Father is going to make all the difference for us. Today, his church is the largest church in Ethiopia. They meet four or five days a week with healing services where I was at one a few years ago on a Tuesday. We got there about 10 or 11 a.m. They'd already been in prayer for hours. And to get inside the church, we had to walk across 20 people deep were outside. When we got in, the hallways were so jam-packed. The hallways were so jam-packed, we literally had to walk over people to get in. They took us in a back way. In the back of the sanctuary, there were people three deep, jam-packed. We had to crawl over people. There was not one square foot of space that was not occupied by people. And it was on a Tuesday for their healing service. They see extraordinary miracles. This is not a unique story in Ethiopia, but it's a true story. And when I heard that, and I thought, we're in this reparenting series. And we're talking about Father and Abba. How many of you want to be part of an Abba church? I do. I want to be part of an Abba church. That, That is a place it becomes simpler for us. Where the Father meets our needs. Where we can trust God with stuff. Where we can give extraordinarily knowing that our God will provide for us. It shook me. And so with that we dig in. 
we are finishing the year talking about Abba. And no better place than the Gospels. The heart of the Gospels is the teaching of Jesus. The heart of Jesus' teaching is the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 6, uh, 5, 6, and 7. The heart of the Sermon on the Mount is chapter 6. The heart of chapter 6 are the three disciplines, giving and praying and fasting. And the heart of those three disciplines is reparenting. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Would you say it with me? And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus taught about giving in the first four verses. But the punchline is your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then he teaches on prayer. Verses 5 through 14. But the heart of it is, the punchline is, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now this morning of all things, we come to fasting. Begins verse 16, 17, 18. And the punchline of it is, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What God is after is not for you to fast food. It's not that God needs the extra food or is out to disrupt your eating patterns. But God wants your heart. He wants your heart because he wants your faith. He wants your faith because he wants you to trust him. He wants you to trust him because he wants you to love him. The time that God invites you and me to spend with him in prayer. It's not that he wants to disrupt our schedules. It's not that he wants to usurp our time. But he wants our heart. He wants our heart because he wants our faith. And he wants us to trust him because he wants us to love him. And with giving. Why would anyone take their hard-earned money, their limited resources, and give a chunk to God? It makes no sense. But the reason is not because God needs your money. God wants your heart. He wants you to trust him. Because he wants you to love him. Now what, what it says here is when you fast. When you fast. It doesn't say if. Uh, for us in the New Testament, uh, fasting is really not an option. Uh, fasting is a necessity. And we're going to look at this. I am so glad that I was born again when I was uh, entering my teen years and that early on I had someone to teach me spiritual disciplines and specifically they taught me about fasting. I started fasting when I was in high school. Uh, my mother got concerned. She said, how come you're not e eating? She says, Fred, the only time you don't eat is if you're sick or you're in love with some girl or something. <laughs> and I said, well, Mom, you're smart. Uh, I've got to tell you, though, um, I'm fasting. She said, Fred, you might die. 
I said, I don't think so. I got, I got plenty of reserves. I, I think I'll be fine. I'm not going to fast forever. I'm just going to skip some meals. He says, okay, but I'm keeping my eye on you. I said, Mom, I wouldn't expect any less. But God put that in me to seek him with fasting. Nobody really had to tell me, although someone did coach me in this. When I got to college, I met Sherry. And we fasted before we were married. We sure didn't fast on our honeymoon. But then after we were married, we, we fasted. We were up in graduate school. We'd been married a couple years. And God put it in us to fast. And her target was a young woman that we had led to Christ several years earlier when she was entering high school. We got the opportunity of mentoring her through high school. And then when she went to college, we went to graduate school. When she got to college, she veered off track. She got involved in things that were destructive. I'm not going to give any particulars. That's not my place to do. But we were burdened. We tried calling. Uh, she wasn't there. We left messages. She didn't return the call. But we knew God knew where she was, and we fasted for her. I can still remember that fast. We started Saturday night. Uh, Sunday, we continued by, by lunchtime on Sunday, physically, I was miserable. I had a headache. I'm thinking, you know, what difference does it make? I'll go down and make myself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. Just hang in there. So I decided I'd take a nap. I got a good nap going, and the phone rings. Sherry takes the call, and she's on for quite a while. She walks back and sees me, and I could see she'd been crying. Let me tell you what happened. It was the, the girl we had not heard from for two years, despite our finest effort. Before we broke the fast, she called us. She not only called us, this is incredible. She said, for the first time in two years, this morning I went to church. And the pastor preached a message on sexual purity. And he gave a call for repentance. And I went forward, and they prayed with me and led me through repentance. And you were the first people I wanted to call to let you know I'm back. Are you kidding me? That's God. There's no way you can explain that. When I got here at Lilburn, I know that God calls people corporately to fast. It's all over the scriptures. There were seasons of fasting when, when, when a leader in the, in the gathering got a word, it's time for the group to fast. Many, many places in scripture, there's group fasting. Well, one of our dear members, Steve Morris, 
had one daughter at the time. He had extensive cancer. It required that he wasn't responding. They had to go all the way to take bone marrow and then basically zap him with stuff so he was on the edge of eternity and then they put the bone marrow back and he, it replenished and all that to fight uh, a vicious form of leukemia. That was all fine, but a couple years later, he had a relapse. And I remember God distinctly, I remember God telling me, fast for Steve Morris and call the church to fasting. I called his wife, Beth, and I said, Beth, it's on my heart to fast for Steve. She says, oh no, we're doing fine. A fast for somebody else. And I didn't tell her, but in my mind I said, God didn't tell me to fast for somebody else. He told me to fast for Steve Morris. That week, he had some blood clots. He developed three embolisms. They rushed him to the hospital, and Steve Morris turned blue. Beth was called in the middle of the night. Now, in the meantime, they'd had a second daughter. She was home feeding the baby when the hospital called. If you want to see your husband again, you better come down here. We were fasting. Before the, the ICU called Beth, God called me and said, fast. And God pulled him through and gave him almost 20 years. Hallelujah. You can't explain that. I'm telling you, fasting is the fastest way to get anything from God. I'm going to say it again. Fasting is the fastest way to get anything from God. Did you guys hear that over here? Fasting is the fastest way to get anything from God. You can dress it up, make it sound prettier. Some people say, well, it's the fastest way to get yourself in a position to receive from God. Okay, if you like that better, go with that one. But it doesn't change the fact that fasting is the fastest way to get anything from God. Now, I know, what's, I know what month this is. I know we're in December. And some of you are thinking, man, Pastor, you're out on a limb this morning talking to us about fasting. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I did a, a number of searches this week, and I found out that the average person in America between Thanksgiving and New Year's gains between 6 and 12 pounds. Uh, how is anybody making progress in that area? I was at a party on Friday night. I think I, I'm well on my way. I don't know, but praise God. No, I mean, there, I don't know of a, of a more challenging time of year to preach this message, but I, and I don't know of a more challenging city in which to preach this message than Atlanta. We've got more taco uh, palaces and pizza huts and... and, and uh, Oh, my word. We got more restaurants around this town than, than anywhere I travel. 
It's unbelievable. But let me tell you why God knows what he's doing in bringing me to, to give you this message today. Let me tell you why. Because this time of year, while we've got all the food and all the rest of it, this time of year stirs up inside of you and inside of me what we want more than a new Rolex or a new Lamborghini or a new house or a new anything. Most of us feel tinges of remorse, loneliness, regret at this time of year because someone we love is not walking with God. I'm right on this, aren't I? Well, what time of year do you think is the best time to hear how to get a breakthrough for that person? You want a breakthrough. I'm telling you how to get a breakthrough. Every fast is a breakthrough fast. Fasting is prayer on steroids. I get a lot by prayer. I get a lot every day by prayer. But I am so thankful that when prayer isn't giving me the breakthrough, I've got a higher gear. I can seek God not just with prayer, but with fasting. Fasting is the, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When you want something from God that is better than mac and cheese, uh, better than a burger and fries, uh, better than your pepperoni pizza from your favorite joint, uh, better than, than your baked potato with all the trimmings, uh, better than your ribeye. Oh, I just ran through some of my comfort foods. And I landed on my favorite, the ribeye. I don't mind telling you. But there are times when God puts within our spirit a hunger for something that tastes better. That is a call to fasting. Isaiah 58 says, Is not this the fast that I have chosen? One of the great interactive ways that God works in our lives is he speaks to us. He calls us to fasting. He may not tell you, I want you to fast. What he'll do is give you a desire for something from him that tastes better than a ribeye. That is a call to fasting. That scripture Jesus quoted on his 40-day fast, he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Sometimes I quote it this way, man does not live by meatloaf and gravy alone. Man does not live by fruitcake and eggnog alone. I mean, put in there whatever you want. But there is stuff God has for you that is better than your next meal. So I challenge us, church, listen to God. Ask him today, 
what kind of fast he's calling you to. When should it start? How long should it go? What should you uh, skip in order to spend additional time with him? Hallelujah. Ask him today. Begin to take that person, that breakthrough you need in your life, in your family, and bring it to God and say, Lord, I've got the date set. I heard you say to me from here to here. Do it in January. Now, it would be easy for me to close the book and say amen, but it would not be true to this text. I'm going to show us something, and I hope most of us can stay with me here. Jesus didn't just talk on fasting. He used fasting to deal with something that is an issue. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. He started in chapter 1, verse 3, about hypocrisy. When you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. Then he talked about prayer, verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Then verse 16. And when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. Hypocrisy is the disease of maintaining a superficial and phony appearance. Now, just think about this. Jesus is here trying to protect giving from hypocrisy. Trying to protect praying from hypocrisy. Trying to protect fasting from hypocrisy. Now, I ask you, I bring to us this morning, what is it What is wrong inside of us that takes the very thing that God gives us to grow in intimacy with the Father and we make it superficial? What is it? What is it that takes giving and makes it superficial? That takes praying and and makes it superficial. So we we don't really connect with God. We just skim across the surface. That takes fasting and and makes it superficial. What what is it inside of us? Now this deserves a whole lot more than the five minutes I'm going to give it. But I ask you to track with me for these five minutes. What is it? Well, it's deceit. says in Jeremiah... 17, the heart is deceitful above all things. But it's more than that. It's pride. But it's more than that. It's rebellion. Wanting to be autonomous. Uh, God, I I, I really don't want you too much involved in my finances. I, I really don't want you too much involved in my time. And I really don't want you messing with the way I eat. So um, let's just keep it superficial. But what is it? What is it down underneath the surface that, that, that when God wants to get intimate, we're going like this? What is it? 
You, you might be able to do better, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to engage in conversation with any of you on this topic, but here's what I've gotten so far. I'm going to put a name to it that I've never put a name to before. I'm going to call it the right to privacy. The right to privacy. I'm not at all talking about Big Brother and and him looking at at our texts and and, uh, surveillance and and, uh, drones and satellite imagery. I'm, I'm not talking about governmental intrusion on our right to privacy. We as Americans love that, and I'm all for it. But I'm talking about with God. We have so deified our right to privacy, it hinders our being reparented. God, I don't want you invading my finances too much. I don't want you messing with my time too much. And whatever you do, don't mess with the way I eat. Now put alongside our text, Matthew 6, 15. You can write there Luke 12, 1 to 3. I'm going to read it. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples, first, first, Imagine this, thousands of people crowding around Jesus and his disciples, and the disciples are probably going, ha, ah, this is cool, ah, look at all these people. And Jesus said to them, first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Then he says, nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetop. What is this saying? Hypocrisy thrives on private rooms. Private rooms. Some of us are stuck in our relationship with God because we put our money in a private room. We put our time in a private room. We put our our appetites in a private room. You know, when I was a kid, I I forget if it was middle school or high school, but I started closing my bedroom door. I spent my time behind a closed door. Well, my dad um, would often come and said, "Eh, knock, knock, and he didn't always knock. Uh, Fred, your mother and I would like it if you just leave your door open. And I never went through that lockdown. But, But often in middle school, high school, there's like that private thing that comes. Like, don't invade my space. I want my privacy. Um, you know, we get upset. Parents want to check and see who you've been texting and, and, and other things like that. And putting spyware or whatever into your, uh, there's a, a good app that can let your parents know if you're visiting the wrong websites and all that stuff. 
But, but, but so, so the issue is, somewhere growing up, we develop this, I want my privacy. I don't want my parents knowing. Well, that is a natural phase of growing up. And the same is true spiritually. But then, when you grow through it, you come out the other side where you are so glad your mother and father know what you're up to. And with your heavenly father, he has a way of finding our private rooms. He has a way of coming to that, that private place that we've barricaded from him, where that we've kept him out of it. And he knocks and he says, um, I've got something better. You don't need to hide anything. In fact, isn't it stupid that we think that, that we could somehow keep God out anyway? I mean, we, we lock a door to God, but, but he's on the inside as well as on the outside. So, I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. But we tease ourselves because we have the shrunken view of God. No, when we open voluntarily our private doors to God, intimacy goes further. And your Father who sees where? In secret will reward you. You're, this is all about secret places. Because it's all about reparenting. And in a love relationship, you have nothing to hide. So powerful. So powerful. Now, in a sense, God has given you the right to privacy in our nation, praise God, for the protection of our privacy. But he's given it to you inside your life for a reason. So that you voluntarily open up those secret places to him. That's the invitation. It's the invitation to go deeper. So with our money, you know why tithing and giving offerings is so important to God? Because God wants you to know you're more than your money. If you are stingy and refuse to give God his tithes and offerings, I'm just going to call it what it is. You've reduced yourself to money. You think you're your money. In fact, we use those words, net worth. Do you know what his net worth is? Eight figures, ten figures. Oh, we're all impressed. That's his net worth. No, that's not his net worth. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Your, your net worth is not your money. You are not your money. Your life is not worth how much money you have in the bank. You are worth more than that. And when you give your tithes, God shows you how much you're really worth. And that's loving. And he does it with your time. You might start with five minutes a day, 15 minutes, 30, 60 minutes a day. You spend alone with the Lord. It grows. Why? Because you're not just what you do. You're not a doing machine. Your worth is not in what you accomplish. Your worth is who you are before God. And, and so take a chunk of 
time and give it to God in prayer because you're more than what you do. Hallelujah. And you're more than your bodily appetites. How pitiful to think I am what I eat. You're worth more than that. You're worth more. Now, the final thing I just have got to add here. When you fast, you physically detoxify. You want to break a sugar addiction? Fast. You want to break a nicotine addiction? Addiction? Fast. You want to break other things? Fast. And, but you detoxify. What that means is during the physical fast, while you're not putting food in, toxins that are there come out. They'll come out through, through uh, several ways, and I'm not going to get into all that. But one of them is through the tongue. If you've ever been around someone that fasts, they can knock you over. Uh, the, 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 the bad smell of breath on a fast. Uh, I go through altoids uh, faster than anybody when I'm fasting. Uh, and it's just uh, because I don't like to be disgusting. But what is that? What's coming out? It's impurities that are in there. That's not the point. In fact, I've got a, I've got a journal, uh, a file, this thick in my office with documented medical cases of people who were healed of, of asthma, healed of, of allergies, healed of arthritis, uh, tumors were broken down, healed of cholesterol issues, healed of high blood pressure, healed of all kinds of things. Fasting is one of the best things you can do medically for yourself. And I, I've, there's so many articles written today on the medical benefits of fasting. But that's not the point. What happens in the physical while you're fasting also happens in the spiritual. So what happens is God, God who's opening up the secret places is going to find sin pockets that will come to the surface when you're fasting. You'll find yourself a little bit more irritable, perhaps. You'll, you'll find yourself uh, uh, having patience issues on a fast. Uh, the, the, the lust for food is, is an honest craving, but it can find expression in many ways. If you have cracks in your soul of wounds, those wounds may, may, may come to the surface. But the fasting doesn't put them there, and it doesn't uh, acerbate the wounds, but it brings them into the light where Jesus can do something with them. Hallelujah. Because God who sees in secret will love you and reward you with his presence in your secret places that you've never opened up before, but God will put his finger on them during your fast. Hallelujah. And brothers and sisters, what does this have to do with Christmas? Christmas is about God loving you enough to come into your secret place. He sent his son. Greatest expression of love of all time to show himself personally to you to be involved in the details of your life and mine. Hallelujah. Let's stand together, please. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the meal of, of uh, the message this morning. And as we have 
been learning about Abba. We cry out to you, Abba, 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 Abba. Expose our secret places, our secret rooms, our private space. Lord, we repent of applying a, an American principle, the right to privacy. Uh, we repent of applying that to our relationship with you. And Lord, before we are Americans, we are believers. We're children of God. And we praise you that part of growing up is learning we don't have to close our door to our parents. Hallelujah. Father, I pray even right now that you would put, that you would stir a desire in every one of us for something from you that is tastier than a ribeye. That you'd speak to us even before we leave here this morning about when you want us to bracket time to fast and to seek the Lord. Father, we ask you to to speak very personally, very specifically, and give us faith that the God, the Father, who sees in secret, will reward us with breakthrough. We believe you for it, Father. We're going to sing a song, and as we do, I want to give you an invitation to come and kneel before the Lord, to bring whatever need, family need, or otherwise to bring it before the Lord, to bring this Christmas season before the Lord, to open up your family to him and to say, Lord, we've got this issue. Would you give us a breakthrough? Let's meet the Lord this morning.